Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Books, Journeys Radio. I'm your host, Angela Loria. I am the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of the Difference Process for Writing a Book That Matters. We were actually off last week because last week I hosted my biannual Free Your Inner Author live workshop. We had a a dozen people cranking out um, memoirs, fiction books, a couple self-help books, we had a coffee table books, just really a, a variety of books that are being created to help make a difference in the world. And, you know, workshops are so fun because the people who attend are in the middle of this creative process and there are these highs and lows and challenges and, you know, a lot of people don't get to the other side of that. So, the reason we do this show is to show authors in transformation that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It was a time when all of our guests felt like they may not finish their book, and uh, today's guest is probably no exception. Her name is Carrie Knowles. Carrie, who uh, spells her name C-A-R-R-I-E, and Knowles is K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Carrie is the author of a memoir called A Family Story of Alzheimer's, The Last Childhood. Um, I was excited to do this interview because Alzheimer's um, definitely affected my family. Um, My grandmother had Alzheimer's. I was very close to her. And um, I think stories, memoirs, and other people's experiences can really help us through those processes. So, Carrie, thank you for being here, and tell us about your book. Uh, Thank you for having me. Well, um, I've been a writer professionally um, for the last 45 years, and in the early 1990s, our family, um, we were sort of confronted with the fact that probably our mother had Alzheimer's, and uh, like so many families, we had let it go to a crisis before we were willing to really come to the idea that, in fact, she had Alzheimer's. And then once we began that journey with her, and also uh, she was very complicated. Um, We didn't have durable policy attorney. Lots of things happened. Um, And we found ourselves on a real roller coaster of going to doctors, trying to take care of her, realizing that what was wrong with her was bigger than we thought it was, and just maneuvering through the medical system, um, through the care system, and also our own emotional sort of devastation from the disease itself. One time when I was up trying to help my siblings unravel everything that was going on and kind of get us on a good path, Um, my two brothers and my sister uh, sort of had a little powwow and came to me and said, you know, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing about the impact of this disease on the family and you ought to write it. And because of their encouragement, I did that. And so that became the last childhood. And so what was your... What was your wish for the book? What was your, did you kind of envision how this book would be in the world? Well, I think that what my wish was sort of a collective wish with my siblings that um, I could create a book that could take you through the stages of Alzheimer's, um, more importantly, the decisions that the family would have to make and um, put a real face on those decisions. You know, it's one thing to read a pamphlet that says, 
you know, at some point you may have to put your mother in an uh, assisted living or an Alzheimer's wing. And, and it's really quite another to make a decision to do that. I mean, to make a decision for somebody else's life, how they're going to live, is a much harder decision than you might think it is. And so I wanted to give a face to it. Uh, my siblings were incredibly generous in terms of exposing themselves and the struggles that we all went through and were 100% behind me doing this and pushing me to do this. And so it's, it's a pretty intimate book about one family's struggle with these decisions. Our father was mm. by this time. And we had a stepfather who um, didn't really like us very much, so he was very much out of the picture. He wasn't a partner for us. And he wound up, um, unfortunately, dying sort of right at the point that we were beginning to really wrestle with the idea that something was terribly wrong with mom. And um, so, you know, what we wanted to do was to say to other people, look, these are hard decisions, um, and you haven't failed. Um, Just because, you know, I I think it was very, to to us, it was very destructive when, when, when we would watch these, Um, Hallmark kind of movies or whatever, and I don't mean to say anything negative about Hallmark, but, you know, know, of if you just love enough, the person will come back to you and be well. And, of course, that's a false message, and it's not true, and it makes everybody else feel like a failure, you know. Mm -hmm. So so when you got the idea, when you came up with the idea um, to get this book written, how long from the time you're like, we should write a book, until right. you had it like finished and printed in your hand? Like, What was that whole process like for you? Well, it's a long process because I think we were knee-deep into the whole process of um, the situation with our mom before I started working on the book. And um, it was very wonderful. I got a grant from the North Carolina Arts Council to write the book, so it gave me a little time off for from, you know, um, commercial type of writing and writing for newspapers and magazines in order to take time to work on the book. But the book sort of followed over a, a long and bumpy journey of, um, you know, keeping track of what was going on with my mom. And also, uh, since I had written um, a lot of nonfiction in my professional life about nutrition and other you know, lifestyle issues. I also wanted to incorporate real research in it, not just say, boy, this is hard, but give people real, um, you know, medical research along the way. So there was a lot of research that was going on. And plus, at the same time, we were caring for our mom. Um, So I don't know, it probably took me five or six years. Let me say that it was very difficult to get a publisher as you can imagine, during the early Well, yeah, so let me just, right, so, right, that's a good point. So let's just talk, let's break it down into actually writing it um, versus getting it published. Well, well, because it was published in two different ways. Um, Okay, well, tell that story. Right, well, initially the the book, um, it probably took me six years to write the book, and so I was in the middle of what was going on with my mom, you know, maybe five, six years. And uh, I couldn't find a um, a big New York publisher who would take it because, you know, everybody said, oh, um, 
this is a sad book, you know, we, and it has such a sad ending. We want a happy book mm. about Alzheimer's. And I, um, yeah, right. Said, well, I, well, Nicholas Sparks, I guess, managed that. So yeah, yeah, that was really unfortunate. I mean, that's that's the kind of book yeah. that makes you crazy if you're an Alzheimer's caregiver. Because you know, you can't kiss them and love them enough to make them remember who you are. Right. But that's okay. That's another story. <laughs> so it was originally published by a very, very, very small press. And um, so that's why I said it was like a two-part thing. And very shortly after the small press uh, published the book, um, they went bankrupt. And I actually had to go to court to get the book back. So I got the book back, um, and then by then more things had happened in our lives. And so um, I went back into the book and, you know, kind of wrote through to the stage we were in then and um, found a New York publisher, uh, Random House, the um, imprint Three Rivers Press, uh, which is part of an imprint of Random House. They purchased it. And once again, I had so that tell us that. Of- tell us that process. How did you sell it to them? Did you go through an agent? Did you write a book proposal? Tell us what that whole well, story looked like. Um, a writer, uh, a fellow writer, who had read the book um, and just knew me a little bit, uh, loved the book, and he went to his agent, Regina Ryan, and she took it to um, Three Rivers Press and got it sold to Three Rivers Press. And then um, I had, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know how it could have gone from bad to worse. It was wonderful to be published by Random House, except for my editor. I mean, I'm going to tell you the worst stories in the world. You think Alzheimer's was a bad story. (laughs) My publishing life with this book, it just seemed doomed. I don't know. Um, And everybody kept saying, gosh, we'd really like you to write a happy ending to this book. And I just kept saying, well, you know, I'm real sorry about that. Um, So it went to Three Rivers Press, and I had a, a first editor, and we had done all the edits and blah, 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 was ready to go. She went on vacation. She came back from vacation and uh, lost her job. And then my book was turned over. No, no, no. My book was then turned over to a new editor, and she was a brand-new editor with Three Rivers Press, uh, very nervous, very brand-new. And she decided she had a different idea for how to organize the book than my first editor did at uh, Three Rivers Press. So I rewrote the book again and um, to satisfy this editor. And actually, I, I'm very pleased with the way it turned out. I thought she had some good ideas. That was great. And then the week before my book came out, she had sort of probably a mild nervous breakdown, and she left the yeah. Rivers Press. So my great. book was published by a national publisher without any support. She hadn't done any publicity for it. So it came out with no publicity and then I wound up um, through just um, my own perseverance and also the the need. Uh, It came out in 2000 with Three Rivers Press at a point when many, many people across the country were um, struggling with the same thing that our family had struggled with. Um, in big numbers. And so I wound up with the help of um, a bookstore sort of 
booking myself up and down the eastern uh, seaboard. You know, I kind of bumped from one bookstore to another on my own, completely on my own. And then um, a firm uh, that was involved in hospice and, uh, you know, life care for Alzheimer's patients asked me to start speaking for them. And so I traveled around the country and I did a lot of work for a lot of speaking engagements for um, medical personnel as well as for family members. And I did that for about three years until I was just sort of exhausted from it. It was really quite interesting because when this book came out in um, 1990, uh, I mean in, in 2000, one of the things that was significant about it, you know, when it, when it came out by Three Rivers Press, uh, when it, I mean, I'm sorry, when it first came out in the end of the 1990s, was that um, doctors assumed that when you brought your loved one to the doctor to say, I think something's wrong, they counted that as the beginning of Alzheimer's. And the same week that my the first book with a very, very tiny press came out, somebody had sent my book to a friend of theirs, who uh, Dr. Webster Ross at University of Hawaii. And that same week, he published a paper in the American Medical Association Journal about the failure of family members to recognize the first seven years of Alzheimer's. And he called me and said, if I had your book, you would have saved me 10 years of research. He said, you wow. understood what it took us 10 years to figure out that, you know, many, many years go by in those early stages with doubt, confusion, um, embarrassment, whatever, uh, denial, you know, that great river of denial. Yeah, we had it all. Um, yeah. I thought my and, grandmother had some, you know, weird new sense of humor or something. Right. And often doctors will say, oh, it's probably a vitamin deficiency, so give her more mm -hmm. vitamins and she'll be okay. So, you know, the work that I did with this book really became quite important with um, the medical profession as well as family members because it talked about... And that about wasn't what was really intentional. No. I, you know, I, I didn't realize until we were, you know, you know, halfway underwater with it how much the medical profession didn't understand about this disease and their assumptions, you know, about how... You know, they would, and and I remember, which is in the book, when we finally got my mom into the Chelsea Methodist home in Michigan, which, by the way, is a wonderful, wonderful place, and our family owes them a great gratitude for, uh, of gratitude for how kind they were and how much care they gave our mother for the 10 years she was there. But, you know, what was important was, you know, in, in an early time uh, conference with them, you know, um, they said, gosh, your mother just, you know, seems to be advancing so quickly, so soon. And my sister and I just looked at them and said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, you know, she just, you know, I mean, the onset of Alzheimer's was just like three months ago when she came to us. And we looked at them and we said, what are you talking about? You know, and they said, well, what would give you that said, idea? Well, and we said, this has been going on for seven, you know, at least seven years. And they said, they kind of looked at us like, and they laughed, and they said, well, 
you know, I mean, really, what made you think that she had Alzheimer's seven years ago? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. And we began to tell them the story, and they went, oh, my gosh, you know, what you've lived through. And their, their perception always was, which was quite interesting, of families, that they would just sort of put people, you know, put their loved ones into the Alzheimer's units and drive away as fast as they could. Um, mm-hmm. And they thought that they were callous and horrible people without realizing that, in fact, they were exhausted, stretched to the limit, and uh, completely burned out by the time they got to that point that they took a loved one to an Alzheimer's unit. So, you know, a lot of what I did was help staff, um, medical staff, understand just what the family members went through before they got to their door. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as you were writing this over the, you know, five years or so, what were some of the hardest parts to write? What were some of the challenges that you oh, faced? Oh, gosh. Well, um, let me just complete with the book. You know, because I didn't get any support from Random House, it then went out of print. And then just recently I brought the book back out as an e-book ah. um, and on my own. Um, with additional chapters um, that include just how do you deal after the death. Um, and so that's, you know, I, I really encourage yeah. people to, you know, to get the ebook because it that's another story in and of itself. Um, I think the most difficult issue was beginning to understand for myself as a writer, because I, I was, I mean, that's what I am, what I have been, you know, all of my adult life. Um, you know, where where was the arc? Where was, you know, how did this story, how did all the pieces fit together? And, you know, how do you talk about the family and Alzheimer's and the, you know, what's, what, what's the connection here? And I really struggled with trying to make um, a, a systematic whole of the book so that people, almost like you would with a novel, you know, where's the arc, where's the story, where is it going? And I began to realize my siblings and I talked a lot, and and one of the things that came out in our discussions, which I think many other people have said to me, thank you, thank you for saying this, it's when your loved one loses the memory of you, your memories of mm. your life with that loved person gets mucked up. I mean, and there are points in which you wonder, were you crazy? Did this really happen? You know, you lose that validation. And I think about, you know, when people get together at family events, how, you know, everybody talks about, do you remember when? Do you remember when? And this happened and Uncle George did that. And there's this wonderful sharing and recreation of those memories. And when that gets cut off, when those memories get lost from your loved one, you're really left wondering yourself, were those memories real? And the sense of loss and the, you know, the everyday constant sense of loss and and the exhaustion from doing that, you know. So one of the things I think that was unique about your experience in writing the book is that you had uh, other people that kind of shared these memories in different ways. And one of the things that comes up with memoir authors is they feel like they're telling their version of the story, but other people might not agree with it. They might have perceived it differently. 
were there right. challenges where you saw a story one way and your siblings saw it another way? Um, uh, sometimes, but I think more generally we we talked about what I was writing about uh, uh, all of the way along it. Um, and I'm, it sounds I'm like it was very, a collaboration. In a way it was. And, um, you know, our work, I mean, I'm very proud. I mean, we're not an exceptional family. You know, we were very, not, we're not a wealthy family. Um, you know, we were unable to hire outside help. I mean, we were on our own. Um, you know, we didn't have any aunts and uncles around us to support us. I mean, we were really four siblings in a rocky ship on our own trying to see our way through it. Um, in addition, our mom just, you know, as one doctor said, he'd never seen anyone who exhibited all of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. And uh, we just laughed and said, well, you know, we needed material, you know, so we got it, you know. But um, I, I was nervous when the book came out, what my siblings would think about it. And uh, they were very proud of it and very grateful that I had done it and felt that yeah. I had told the truth about who we were and what we did. And I, I really respect them and I, I respect, uh, you know, their generosity and also um, we were lucky that we could work cooperatively for the most part, you know. Yep. So, excellent. So, what, obviously, one of the highlights for you is kind of sharing this experience in a way with your siblings. Were there other things that have come out of having written this book that have been, you know, positive experiences for you that wouldn't have happened without this book? Oh, I got to meet so many people and talk with them and um, makes them feel not alone. Uh, it was a, a wonderful experience. It continues to be a wonderful experience. Um, I still get emails from people who have discovered the book, and um, you know, it, it's it's just uh, it makes me feel very good that the book might you know was successful in that way. It, it really did what we hoped it would do, which was help people. Yeah. I had a funny experience. I had a very funny experience. Yeah. I was in Chicago on the west side of Chicago speaking one night, um, and it was, it was a big audience. You know, there were 100 or so people in the audience. And um, I looked out in the audience, and uh, half of the audience were nuns. And I thought, wow, this is unusual. And then I realized that there was a, an old convent on the west side of Chicago, and at the end of my talk, um, uh, all the nuns lined up, and they each, you know, walked up and gave us a little pocket change to this one nun who was the mother superior of the convent. And at the end of the talk, she came over with this handful of, you know, nickels, dimes, and quarters and bought one book and uh, told me that, you know, they would share it with their order and then it would go to their mm. sister order and then it was going to go to Canada to their sister order. And I thought, wow. that's so wonderful, but my children need to go to college. You know? Yeah, that one book, so many people. <laughs> yeah. So many people it's like on a little library. library. Yeah. Right. <laughs> a little traveling, you know, like the traveling pants story, but it was just my book. Yeah, but there you go. Yeah. So um, you mentioned speaking. Had you done speaking on this topic before, or did having the book open up that opportunity for you? 
having the book opened up that opportunity for me, yes. And how mm-hmm. did that, what was that process like? A lot of people that are working on books would like to write one, and especially with memoirs, they have a story, you know, that it is going to be, excuse me, sorry about that, that it's going to be hard to get speaking gigs as a memoirist because I don't have the same credentials as, like, an Alzheimer's doctor would have. So how did you, what was your journey? Well, because it wasn't um, from a medical point of view, it was from a family member's point of view, um, it was pretty easy to then step into, you know, speaking with families. And then, um, and, and also from going to bookstores and speaking at bookstores, it was very curious. There would always be one or two doctors who would be standing in the back of the room and they would wait till everybody else had left and then they would come up and ask questions. And that's kind of how I got, to then be asked to speak to medical personnel um, because they would say, you know, could you talk to our staff or whatever? And so, wow. um, so you know, I would. Um, so it was it was very gratifying to feel as though you know I wasn't only helping family members, but I was also helping people who were going to be helping family members to sort of better understand the situation. I have to say it was pretty exhausting because it's such an emotional issue, and yeah. you know. Um, you know, people came with, you know, I remember one woman, I mean, oh, my gosh. I mean, she had cared for her mother and father who both had Alzheimer's. She was presently caring for her husband's father who had Alzheimer's and her husband's great aunt who had Alzheimer's. And her husband's great aunt and her husband's father were living in the home and she was caring for them full time. And I thought, you are a saint, you know. Um, and the issue for family members, I mean, when you think that, you know, the the title of the book is The Last Childhood, because from onset to death, the trajectory we now understand is 17 years. And oh, so, wow. Right. I and did not know, you know that. Right. So, and, you know, you can look it up in the literature and they'll say, now we understand from onset to death of 17 years. But the first seven years are those mucky years in which you aren't sure, but some odd things are happening. And then the seventh year, you know, the sixth, seventh year, usually there's a crisis. And that crisis mm-hmm. is a car wreck or somebody, you know, wanders in the middle of the night and gets lost and the police find them or some other very alarming, you know, undeniably bizarre incident happens. Um, and then, you know... We had a kitchen fire in our family. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And, you know, th- there were... Uh, so, you know, for the most part, m- people who become caregivers, they are, you know, become sort of full-time caregivers for the last 10 years. That's a long time. You know, and for many people, particularly women, it means that uh, many women wind up having to quit work because they, you know, you can't leave an Alzheimer's patient alone. I mean, you can't do that, you know. So, um, you know, it it becomes a full-time job. What advice would you have, especially to somebody, maybe they're a caregiver, but just somebody who feels like they're busy, uh, you know, with caregiving or with their life, but they still want to write. What advice, based on your experience, would you uh, give them to help get their book done? Well, I think you have to, you know, whether you are a caregiver and, you know, whatever. If, you know, if you feel you have a book, a memoir, a book that you want to write, 
you need to write it and you need to also be forgiving of yourself and you need to kind of set a set a plan um you know to write 1 hour or 2 hours a day that are, are yours to to have but to know if something comes up measles mumps you know or whatever it is um, that you forgive yourself and you move on to the next day when yeah. you have an hour to write and you keep going. And, um, I mean, it's the same advice I would give anybody who wanted to write any kind of book that you just, um, you know, if you think about it, if you if you wrote two pages a day and you took your birthday off in Christmas and Easter and Halloween and every weekend, you know, at the end of the year, you'd still have 600 you still have a book. Right. Yeah, you'd have a book. Right. Right. And you know, um when you and you know when you edit it you might wind up with three hundred pages that you love and like, but you still have a book. Right. You know, and um I mean I, I wanted to talk because my uh my last two books, which are both novels, Lillian's Garden and Ashwin's Rug, um, you know, I did them sort of not exactly together but worked on them over the last ten years, you know, going from one to the other. Um, at different times when, you know, when things were working in one book and not the other. So, I mean, it takes me 10 years to write a book sometimes. And so it's, you know, I, I, I'm i I'm not too hard of a taskmaster. And I tell people... Yeah, I like you know, that story. I, I think that's a great um, kind of place to leave people is with this idea of being gentle with yourself as a writer and knowing your book is going to come out when it's ready. And, you know, there's yep. not... There's not a fire. Sometimes taking care of your mom is more important than getting your pages in. And, Absolutely. And, you know, that doesn't mean it won't get done eventually. Right, right. It won't. So and it, you know, Carrie, it, it Knowles is, uh, Carrie Knowles is the author of A Family Story of Alzheimer's, The Last Childhood. You can learn more about her at com. That's C-A-R-R-I-E-K-N. O-W-L-E-S dot com. Carrie, thanks for, for being with us here on Book Journey. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Terrific. And we will be back next week. We're uh, here in uh, here in the Book Journeys radio where we are changing the world one book at a time. Today, I am up again.